Impact of Influence, the Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. Matt Harris, Seton Tucker, and you can find us on Facebook, Impact of Influence. And today we're talking about judges. Uh, we want you, to, of course, to remember to reach out to us on the Facebook page, also to share the episode and follow. And you can even find us on YouTube, our YouTube channel, Impact of Influence. Look for the link in our Facebook page. And also want to thank uh, Evergreen. We are now part of the Evergreen podcast team. Joining us, Senator, uh, State Senator Wes Clymer, Republican out of York. I've District 15, if I'm yeah, right, yeah. Uh, which is, I should know because it's ours, serving since 2016. Right. I believe. Yeah, okay. Got, yeah. got, so far, I'm getting things right. You're knocking it out of the park. I am. So far, so good. Watch me fall apart any minute now. And you are fighting hard for judicial reform in this state. So let's start with how it works in South Carolina as far as picking judges, electing judges, et cetera. Which is way different than how they're elected in I think, what is it? South Carolina and Virginia are the only, only two, two states. Yeah. So. How does it work? So uh, let's say, Matt, you wanted to be a judge, mm -hmm. right? So you would make an application. as a lengthy application process, and you send that to something called the Judicial Merit Selection Commission. And the job of the Judicial Merit Selection Commission is, is really quite simple on paper. The JMSC is there to ascertain whether a candidate is qualified or not. And if a candidate is qualified, then the JMSC will send that application on to the full General Assembly. And JMSC is limited to three referrals per, you know, judgeship anytime okay. it sends, a, uh, sends those referrals. So three for one job. It's always Right. So if ten, if 10 people apply, three would be the maximum okay. who could get out, right? Now, JMSC is populated by six legislators, three from the House and three from the Senate, and then four... Um, you know, lay members, non-legislators, right? And so the three from the House and the three from the Senate, and the Senate appointed by the Senate Judiciary Committee Chair, and the House appointed by the House Judiciary Committee Chair. And all six of those legislators happen to be practicing attorneys. Okay, right. All right, all right, so bear that in mind. And then once um, a nominee makes it out of JM, the JMSC process, which I hope we get to discuss a little bit more, mm -hmm. some, of the, yeah. some of the stuff that goes on in JMSC. The nominee goes before the full General Assembly, 170-member General Assembly that, that House and Senate meet together in joint session, and um, whichever candidate gets 86 votes first is the winner, right? So 86 is a majority. Yeah. And that is how judges are elected in South Carolina. So there's no involvement from the governor, there's no involvement from any executive branch official. The legislature has the sole authority on who gets to become a judge and, importantly, who gets to remain a judge. Okay. And you brought up the fact that so many of uh, the people on this committee are lawyers. So mm -hmm. there's a, a little conflict. Well, just in the legislation alone, that'd be the majority yeah. or a large amount. amount of a little under half of the 170 members of the General Assembly are attorneys. Before I get into why that could be problematic, compare that to other states. Like, what does it typically happen? Yeah, most states um, operate like most people would be familiar with, with the federal government, where the executive branch, the governor, nominates someone to the bench. 
And then the General Assembly gives advice and consent on the governor's nominee, right? So Mm -hmm. we're familiar with how that works at the federal level. The president nominates, and then the Senate offers advice and consent, right? And so that is how most states operate. And I think that's really important, um, and that's a model that we should move towards um, because you want three co-equal branches of government, right? Mm -hmm. And right now the judiciary is simply an appendage of the legislature because if – if the General Assembly can hire and the General Assembly can fire, what do you call the person who can hire and fire you? Your boss. It's your boss. <laughs> yeah. It's certainly not a co-equal relationship. And ultimately what we're after is to have a co-equal branch of government in the judiciary because you want judges to make decisions on the basis of the law and facts and nothing else. Mm-hmm. That is why a co-equal branch of government in the judiciary is important because you want cases to be decided simply on the law and the facts, and not political influence. And we should point out that you're not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. So, I'm, I'm a financial <laughs> advisor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so when one branch of government, the legislature, populated by nearly you know half of its members being attorneys, right? think about all the different ways that this incentive structure plays out in the, in the administration of justice in this state. Because in, in essence, even if it's fair, it has the appearance of impropriety because a judge is ruling on his boss. Correct. If you want to look at right. it that way. Yeah, sure. Right? So, and and I, I've, I've said for years, and, and I, wish, I wish it were, you know, I wish I were joking, but I'm kind of joking. But the truth is, if you ever get in real trouble in this state, the best justice money can buy is hiring a member of the Judicial Merit Selection Commission. Mm. Now, is that, is that the kind of world we want to live in? Right. Right? Worth, I mean, so think about if you are, if you and another party are suing one another and you show up in the courtroom and you have a good local attorney you know and trust and on the other side is a your, your opposing party has an attorney who's on the judicial merit selection commission what do you think the odds are that you're going to get a fair shake from that judge who's getting ready to have to stand for re-election before the opposing counsel well, i think we should also talk about legislature immunity that they get as yeah. far as when cases are heard Oh, this is kind of funny. Yeah, so um, in South Carolina, um, the, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court has issued an order which um, protects, it's an order of protection, um, and that allows lawyer legislators to not show up for court, delay cases, so long as the General Assembly is in session, and so long as the legislator has something to do that is even tangentially related to service in the General Assembly. So that is how um, lawyer legislators who are defense attorneys, they would say use, or I would say abuse, that order of protection in order to prevent their clients from ever having to show up in a courtroom. Basically, you got drug dealers all over the state paying lawyer legislators, paying them a retainer fee to continue representing them, and that's how they never go to jail because they never have to go to court because the lawyer legislator keeps telling the judge, sorry, I can't do it today. I got a conference to go to or a, a hearing to attend or something like that. Now, is this like what you're saying here? Is this what potentially could happen or we have actual cases where this – you right don't have now, to tell me them all, but you have Right to now, today in South Carolina and for many years now, that has been the practice. Okay. And so a couple of years ago, the chief justice under you know, public criticism from – folks in the press, reversed the order, Issue, mm. issued a new order, saying, you know, eliminating this order of protection. Within 24 hours, 
the chief justice rescinded his revocation of the order and put it back in place. Hmm. Why? What do you think happened in between the time when Chief Justice Beatty rescinded the order of protection for lawyer legislators and when he reinstated it? He probably had some phone calls. Got some phone calls from lawyer legislators. (laughs) And that, that, that just goes to show you how subordinate the judiciary is to the legislature and the degree to which legislative politics interferes in the judicial process. And which, uh, what level of judges does the, uh, the, the legislation take care of? It, does it go all the way down to yeah, magistrates and things like that? Everything. Or, really? Okay. Yeah. And uh, I know that one of the things you're, you're working with is Dick Harpoolian a little bit on this. Yeah. He's a... Uh, uh, a defense attorney. He is a defense attorney. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so who who could have? Um, Who's a Democrat and you're a Republican? So right. you're saying yeah. this is probably more of a bipartisan. Yeah. Issue. Good ethics, transparency, and government is not a partisan issue. I mean, there are folks on both sides of the aisle who want to fix this process so that the people of South Carolina have equal access to the justice system. Yeah. You you couldn't snap your fingers and make everything go away. It's going to be take you know small steps. I'm sure. Yeah. Like, what are the things you want? And you think you could accomplish in these small steps? I don't necessarily think the legislature has to take small steps to solve this problem. Really? Okay. Um, there are a lot of different ways you could solve the problem, right? There are a lot of different ways to uh, reconstitute the Judicial Merit Selection Commission in a way that mitigates these very obvious conflicts of interest, right? Um, you, my preference would be to hand over the Judicial Merit Selection Commission to the governor. Because the Constitution states that there must be a JMSC, but it is silent, which means the General Assembly can decide what the JMSC is. There's nothing stopping the legislature from turning the JM, just letting the governor be the JMSC or letting the governor appoint anyone who serves on the JMSC. I mean, that's an, that's an easiest, easy and obvious uh, answer. And then the that, other— That could be done on a vote or would that have to be like an amendment? It could just be done by changing a law. Okay. You could accomplish this in the form of a constitutional amendment. I mean, that that's— possible. A little harder. It requires a two-thirds vote in both houses of the General Assembly, and I think, you know, um, judicial reform would struggle to get a majority vote in the in the General Assembly. <laughs> so, right, yeah, they're, that they're not going to want to vote yeah. for yeah. that The two-thirds process. bar is going to be tough. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about one of our sponsors. It is Factor. You can eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh meal is never frozen and is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, uh, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, and they are ready in just two minutes. What did you have chili the other day? Delicious. And if you want gourmet meals, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, asparagus. So head to factormeals.com slash impact50 and use code impact 5050 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code's impact50 at factormeals.com slash impact50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Impact50 at factormeals.com slash impact50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer. And I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic. And now each week, I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee 
there'll be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. One of the things I think I read that uh, Senator Arpulian was talking about was expanding at least, instead of three, yeah. have more. Are you cool with that idea? Yeah, and so um, let, me, let me unpack that thought okay. a, a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. JMSC's job on paper is sort of to, to answer the threshold question, is this applicant qualified to serve as a judge? Does this person possess the, the knowledge and intellectual capacity and, and ethical you know, moorings to adequately serve on the bench? That's all JMSC is supposed to do. But JMSC does a lot more than that. JMSC plays games. And those games would include, like if there are six candidates for a particular judgeship, JMSC knows it can only send three of those nominees or applicants out to the General Assembly. And so what they do, put their thumb on the scale, send out one candidate who is highly, highly, highly qualified, and two who are very obviously problematic for whatever reason with their, with their candidates. They just know their person will fly through. Right. And so in that way, the decision about who's going to be a judge is made at the JMSC level instead of before the full General Assembly. Right. And the other things JMSC does is there was a case a couple years ago where a, um, there was a, a civil case involving, I think it was about a $7 million verdict. The verdict came under question. And a lawyer legislator was brought in on the appeal related to the $7 million judgment. The judge rules against the lawyer legislator on this appeal. The judge was at that time running unopposed for re-election to, the, to his seat on the bench. And somehow, JMSC just found that judge unqualified. Hmm. Oh, so even on re-election, they've got to go back into yes, the hopper? Yes, they've got to go back before. Right, back okay. before the JMSC. And then that judge who was fired for ruling against a powerful member of the legislature uh, was replaced by a uh, blood relative of that legislator. I think I read that one thing <laughs> that was, one of the, I think it was just crazy talk. Yeah. That's one of the things uh, I think I read, one of the things that would have changed is the relationship. Uh, yeah. You know, just get that off the board. Right. Right away. It seems reasonable. Yeah. And so if back to where we were talking about, and I, yeah. I know I kind of got expansive on, on the answer, but I think it's, no, important, it's important to understand. Um, if JMSC were not limited to three, then it, doing so would reduce their capacity to engage in mischief. If you're right. putting 10 or whatever, right. five, yeah. six, even, right. you know. Now, that, now, I don't think that that eliminates the mischief. It just moves it to the joint session of the General Assembly, where the lawyer-legislator mischief will continue to, to occur. Right. For some reason, I wasn't thinking about was the civil. You brought up the civil, and I, I, the whole time I've been thinking criminal. Yeah. But in civil, those attorneys are getting paid handsomely. Very much, yeah. I, that That, for some reason, I don't know why that never... That the civil part didn't well, jump out at me. Probably more lucrative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now you've got money and skin in the game, yeah. not just a client. Yeah, you're you, still. I mean, client's important. Don't get me wrong, but you know, if yeah. you're getting off, uh, if you're, or you're working with somebody who you may even think is innocent, whatever. That's yeah. different than this money game that can be done. Correct. Yeah, there are a lot of legislators making a lot of money as a consequence of this system. We started our podcast with the Murdoch situation, mm-hmm. and we've also there's been a lot of high profile cases that have made a lot of attention in our state, probably, and also national, the Jared Price case and 
Owen Turner. And I listened to an interview with Alan Wilson this week where he said these big cases that have the media attention, those cases don't get swept under the rug. But these cases that don't have the national or you know statewide spotlight on them are the cases that that these backdoor deals can happen. Right. When there's no reporter in the room, right. then mischief is much easier to accomplish. Yeah. What would be your goal, your first goal? Because I know that, I think I read that you were going to uh, really fight this hard, but I'm not sure exactly what, what do you, what's the main goal of, of, of trying to stop it? Because I don't think you, like you said, are you going to be able to change it completely? Are you going to be able to get the vote on the governor doing it? Or are you going to take... Uh, small. What do you want for smaller steps? What, what's the end so game? I think it's important to understand th- there is no perfect system. This is not a policy question that has a solution. This is a policy question where you have to balance trade-offs. It is impossible to eliminate um, political influence in a in an inherently political process. Right. But what you seek to do is mitigate it to the greatest extent possible. That's that's what we're after here is to reduce the um, manifestation of that inherent conflict of interest in the administration of justice to the greatest extent possible. And again, there are a lot of different ways you can, you can solve for that. There are a lot of different things you can do to mitigate that, that, the presence of that conflict of, of interest. And that's what I'm after. Okay. A, there's never going to be a perfect system. There are always going to be problems. Yes. But Every these, state has exactly. issues and yeah. indictments of judges and things like that. Exactly. But our system is, is glaringly broken in a number of clearly visible and fixable ways, let's go after those things. I think I read you would, you would do a, filibus, a filibuster for this. Would you want a new committee set up to study it? Would you want immediate action? What is the immediate goal you would want everybody to vote on or happen? Yeah, so um, again, there are a lot of different ways to fix it, right? Ultimately, I think the best way to fix it is to empower the executive branch with a more meaningful voice in the judicial nominating process. So is that the vote you would want? Yeah, that's the, yes, yes. Okay. I, I've introduced several pieces of legislation to that too, to that effect. Um, a handful of other senators have done similarly. They they all, you know, differ on the margins, sure. and um, you know, hammering out those differences is. That's what needs to happen on the Senate floor in January and February of 2024. So your filibuster would would be with a goal of getting a vote on yeah, and the executive that, That's important to um, – all right. So before judicial elections can happen, before that joint assembly of the House and Senate can meet, the House and the Senate have to pass a resolution scheduling those elections. Okay. And the resolution says the uh, joint session of the General Assembly will meet at 12 noon on – February, whatever, to for the purpose of uh, electing judges to these seats. Mm-hmm. That resolution can be filibustered. You vote for it or against it, and it can be filibustered. And what I've said is this system is so broken that I will filibuster that resolution to prevent judicial elections from happening unless okay. until reform is enacted. Gotcha. I saw something, I read something this week about Merle Smith. What, what's happening with that? He said something, he's trying to get something together by February. Did you? Yeah. Um, to, to the Speaker's credit, Speaker Smith impaneled a, an ad hoc, which is to say not a standing committee, just a, a group of legislators that he appointed to study um, what's wrong with the judicial selection process 
and to formulate a set of recommendations for the House to consider on how to fix it. Um, fellow York County legislator, Representative Tommy Pope, who's the speaker pro tem, uh, he is the chair of that committee. Another fellow York County representative, Brandon Guffey, uh, serves on that committee with Speaker Pope. And um, the goal is for them to formulate their recommendations by February in order to give the House time to work on them in this upcoming session. So now, you're, yeah, you're, no, so you might us is to stop the, is, is to stop that from happening before this happens. Correct. Okay, got it. Yeah, and okay. so you know, you might say, and I be an eternal optimist. It's great to see progress on this issue, right? Uh, but the pessimist might say uh, the legislature has a great and storied tradition of choosing to study something instead of <laughs> doing true. something. That, oh yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And so it's motion without movement. There's many committees out there, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> lots, lots of really, really well done studies collecting dust on bookshelves sure. all over the state. I, 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 based on conversations I've had with representatives Pope and Guffey, I don't think that's what's happening here, um, but. You know, a cynic might say that that's a legitimate thing to be concerned about. Right. Do you feel this has had the most steam and attention than it's had since so you've been there say, seven years? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you feel like this is really the spotlight is on it more than you've seen in the past? Yes, yes, because the um, uh, the, the Murdoch case drew a lot of attention to that. A lot of people came to understand how this system works as a consequence of the uh, notoriety of the Murdoch case. And then there have also been a handful of high-profile incidents around the state where uh, lawyer-legislator conflict of interest yielded judicial outcomes that were just horrible and flagrant, and that has driven public attention towards this issue. And an elected body standing for election tends to uh, give attention to those things that their voters are asking about. Yeah, and so that's true. kind of that's kind of where we are on this right mm. now. Now, you know, of course, it wouldn't. It, I, you know, as you said before, it doesn't solve anything because everything, because in some states, and I, I don't know if it's all states, a uh, senator or somebody could contribute to a judge's fund. Yeah, say or something like that. Right. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just yeah end around. Very but, clear. I, mean, I think the the worst form. Remember, there's multiple different ways to pick judges. The absolute worst form is public elections. Yeah. I mean, in that case, think about. I mean, the Supreme Court of the United States has said that that you have a constitutional right to contribute money to political right. advocacy. So then, in in that case, you have law firms setting up super PACs for judges. I mean, that that form of corruption is just broader and more intense than what we have right now. Right, right, right. Right, which is you know a localized form of corruption where lawyer legislators are abusing the process. Mm -hmm. A superior alternative to both of those models is the executive branch nominates and the general assembly advice gives advice and consent and the reason why that's a superior method is because you're you know you're, you don't have this sort of fundraising public corruption problem of uh of elections but you're dividing the the appointment power between two different branches of government and so you know was the absolute power corrupts absolutely the less power that's concentrated in fewer hands yeah the yeah. better off we're going to be sure. at mitigating these conflicts of interest it all makes sense that at the very least looking like it's inappropriate doesn't doesn't help things either right well, you know? it looks yeah. it's it is obviously inappropriate it's it just so apparently inappropriate yeah. and then you read articles and see examples of of how you know the thing that you kind of intuitively think is inappropriate actually is inappropriate yeah, in right. practice yeah. you know right. there are real world examples of this going wrong yeah. um and how so, many judges do you know any idea how many judges come through during the course of a year or month it, or it, it varies i must say normally in the in the in the neighborhood of 30, somewhere okay. around there. Yeah. 
Now, because we're talking family court, circuit court, right, that's appeals that's what I was court, wondering. Yeah. Supreme Court from time to time, all that. I was not aware of this problem until recently. So I think that the attention drawn to it is really good. So uh, appreciate you taking time uh, and chatting with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt Ayers, Seton Tucker, Impact of Influence on Facebook page. Rate, share, comment, and all that good stuff. And we'll talk soon, friend. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.